An was born on May 1st, 1973, in Hue, which was, at the time of her birth, a city in South Vietnam. Six months earlier, the Paris Peace Accords had been signed, and by the time of her arrival in the world, all of the American servicemen had been withdrawn from South Vietnam, including her biological father. U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and North Vietnamese Politburo member Lee Doc Tho were hailed by the world community for their efforts, both being awarded the Nobel Peace Prize later that year, even though the agreement had been negotiated in secret between the two men. South Vietnamese President Nguyen Van Thieu was unaware of the negotiations until he was strong-armed by the United States to sign the Paris Peace Accords. Less than two years later, North Vietnam, with the support of its Viet Cong guerrilla allies, had overrun South Vietnam in a matter of weeks. The victors rolled into Hue unopposed as An, along with her mother Trang, joined the stream of frightened refugees attempting to avoid the Viet Cong, who were threatening to round up and execute all of the women and children of the enemy, a reference aimed squarely at women like Trang and children like An. Through the assistance of their extended family, the two, mother and daughter, found refuge in an insignificant remote village where An's mother, Trang, focused on raising her daughter and doing whatever she could to survive in the aftermath of a long, destructive, and divisive civil war. In a few months, after all the ex-South Vietnamese soldiers and government officials had been rounded up and sent off to re-education camps, the witch hunts for anyone who had an association with the Americans died down. Life was still hard for Trang and her infant daughter, An, but they survived. As Vietnam began the process of healing, society began to change. More and more political prisoners were released from the re-education camps back into society. This accompanied a re-emergence of Vietnamese nationalism. An ethnically Chinese minority, the Hua, faced open discrimination from the Vietnamese government and society at large since they were not Vietnamese enough, even though their ancestors had lived in Vietnam for generations. This led to the infamous boat people crisis of 1978 and 1979. Amerasian children, children like An, were similarly discriminated against simply because they were only part Vietnamese. These children were labeled Budoi, an insignificant speck of dust, by a society who didn't want them around. As An began to mature, it became clear that she wasn't a pure-blooded Vietnamese. Her wavy light brown hair and hazel eyes were dead giveaways. As a result, she was uniformly rejected by a society that valued ethnic homogeneity. This abject discrimination included An being denied a spot in school since she was a Budoi, unworthy of even a basic education. Unlike many other Vietnamese mothers of Amerasian children, Trang hadn't abandoned her daughter, An, in an attempt to escape the harassment and rejection. Instead, her ever-faithful mother, Trang, raised An and taught her what she could, while An helped her mother sell vegetables, firewood, cigarettes, and whatever else they could scrounge up to sell on the streets to survive. As An grew, 
she became more and more interested in knowing about her American heritage, partly as a reaction to the rejection that her and her mother faced. Since her mother had destroyed all the photos, all the letters, everything that could have tied them back to any association with the Americans during the escape from Hue years earlier, all that her mother Trang could remember was that her biological father was a military policeman named Trey, that he was from Wisconsin, and that her biological father was tall, thin, and had wavy red hair. When An pushed to know more about her biological father's looks, her mother would simply reply, go look in the mirror. Subsequent to the boat people humanitarian crisis of the late 1970s, international aid organizations, religious missionaries, and other non-governmental groups began publicizing the plight of Amerasian children in Vietnam and the extreme prejudice that they were experiencing. The United States government belatedly responded by enacting the Homecoming Act of 1987. Since there were no diplomatic ties between the United States and Vietnam at that time, the two hostile governments worked through the United Nations High Commission for Refugees to streamline the process for Vietnamese children of American fathers, their mothers, and certain other close relatives to immigrate to the United States through a process labeled the Orderly Departure Program. In a blink of an eye, An went from being a rejected boudoir, an insignificant speck of dust, to a golden child with a ticket to the United States. In 1990, at 17, after having endured years of rejection and discrimination in Vietnam, An and her mother immigrated. Their first stop was an intensive six-month cultural assimilation program and an English as a second language program in the Philippines. After that, An and her mother found themselves settled in a small Vietnamese immigrant community nestled in a suburb of San Diego. There, An, after years of being denied a formal education, excelled in public school. Her mother Trang quickly found work in a French-Vietnamese restaurant, and there, at the restaurant, also found a husband. An, however, still thought about her biological father, about where he could be, if he had any interest in her. An continued on to community college and then eventually to the University of California, San Diego, where she met her fiancé, a smart, tall, freckled boy with blonde hair named John, who was from the East Coast, Maryland. An, with her degree in microbiology, and John, a business major, had both begun their careers when the two decided that it was now time to plan their wedding. An had dreamed of a fairy tale wedding, which included having her father walk her down the aisle. But in spite of numerous internet searches and emails to various Amoration organizations, government agencies, and even contacting individual Army veterans, she was no closer to finding a Vietnam vet from Wisconsin named Trey than she had been the day that she and her mother first set foot on American soil. Without a last name, finding her father in a vast ocean of information was impossible. An consoled herself. After all, it had been 28 years. Could her biological father have forgotten? Perhaps 
he had his own family and didn't want anything to do with a daughter from Vietnam. Her fiancé, John, recognized how important it was to Ahn to find her biological father, a father she had never even seen a picture of. He kept working alongside Ahn. Together, they kept searching the Internet and eliminating countless possibilities. As the wedding date approached, Ahn asked her mother's new husband, a man who, although Vietnamese, Ahn had only known after leaving Vietnam, to do the honor of walking her down the aisle. This brought great joy to her mother Trang since it was a sign of acceptance by her daughter Ahn for Trang's new husband as her stepfather, even though by that time Ahn was an adult already living on her own. Regardless, as the old Vietnamese saying goes, a child without a father is like a home without a roof. And now, from Trang's point of view, her daughter had her roof. After the nuptials, the newly married couple took off on a two-week honeymoon to the East Coast so that the rest of John's family could meet his bride. After a week of recounting her experiences for several different groups of John's relations, who were scattered up and down the eastern seaboard, the newlyweds ended up at John's parents' house in suburban Washington, D.C. for the final few days of their trip. At John's urging, the couple decided to spend a day at the National Archives in the District of Columbia. There, at the National Archives, they were helped by a long-term employee of the Modern Military Records Section, the section which held records for Vietnam War veterans. Before starting, the records archivist warned them that, after assisting in hundreds of searches by other Amerasian immigrants, the success rate of finding a lost father was less than 1%. Nevertheless, the couple rolled up their sleeves and began diligently combing through the musky, old boxes of paper records, making notes and photocopying anything about any Vietnam veterans named Trey. Then, after hours of searching and about 20 minutes before the archives were about to close for the day, a name jumped out. It was on a letter of commendation recommending that a Trey Keskovic be awarded a Bronze Star for meritorious service while on assignment at Tan Son Nook Airport, Saigon, South Vietnam. The document was dated September 7, 1972. With only about 20 minutes before the National Archives were about to close, they frantically searched the rest of the box for any other documents. They found nothing more. However, they did have a last name, a complicated, unusual, multi-syllable last name which started and ended with a K. In other words, a name her mother would have trouble pronouncing, let alone remembering. Instinctively, Ahn knew it had to be her father. The first name was correct. The branch of the army, a citation for a military policeman was right. The location was spot on and the date fit with the time Han's mother lived in Saigon. As they drove the 45 minutes back to Han's in-law's house, she began hyperventilating. Her newlywed husband, John, attempted to calm her down as they discussed what to do next. They agreed not to say anything to anyone until they had at least done a cursory internet search to see if they could find a Trey Keskovic. Once they were home, they made a beeline to the laptop and typed in the name. 
After a few searches, Atrey Keskovic turned up living in Kenosha, Wisconsin. After dinner, An's husband John pulled out his credit card and purchased an online background check for Trey Koskovic, even though it might not have passed legal muster. There, on the computer screen, was an address and a telephone number. Unable to keep quiet, the couple excitedly explained to John's parents what they had done earlier in the day. His parents smiled and nodded until John's father spoke up. Well, I guess you better give this guy a call and see if it's him. We'll give you two a little privacy. After John's parents had gone for a walk, Ann dialed the phone number and waited anxiously. The phone rang and rang until voicemail chimed in. In a gruff, gravelly voice, the message said, You've reached Trey. If you're a telemarketer, drop dead. If you're someone I'm going to want to call back, you know what to do. Then, beep. Ann was shaking. She instinctively hung up after the beep without leaving a message. Then she compulsively dialed the number again and again, chickening out each time before saying anything. Finally, her husband, John, took the phone and dialed the number. When the machine's recording had ended, John left a message. Hi, I'm not a telemarketer, but I might be the husband of your daughter, your daughter Ann from Vietnam. Please give us a call back. We'd like to talk to you. After that, John cautioned his wife, saying, He might not call back, even if he is your father. Ann said nothing. John could tell by her quietness that she was silently processing that possibility. Then, less than a minute after John left the message, the telephone ringed. Ann jumped at the sudden noise and started shaking almost uncontrollably. She instinctively pushed the ringing telephone toward her husband. John tried to push it back, but Ann was insistent. So, John picked up the receiver. Ann could hear the voice on the other end, that same raspy voice that she had heard on the voicemail. Hello? Yes? I'm the one who left the message. Hold on. John tried to hang the phone back to Ann, and again Ann shook her head no. John nodded in understanding, then proceeded to ask the voice on the other end a series of questions. Are you Trey Keskovic? Are you a Vietnam veteran? Were you a military policeman? Where were you assigned? When were you there? The questions became more and more pointed and serious. When did you meet her? What was her name? It took only about three minutes of John's interrogating the voice on the other end of the phone, but to Ann, it seemed like an eternity. Then suddenly, her husband John's tone of voice changed, became more conciliatory. Sorry, Mr. Keskovic. Please accept my apologies. I just wanted to make sure, for my wife's sake. Yes, yes, your daughter Ann is right here. Would you like to speak with her? Then... After years of searching, Ann and her biological father, Trey, spoke to each other for the first time.